With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sharp Money presented by DraftKings. Did I see the news, Amal Shaw? It's the best news I've heard since my niece was born as we say hi. Two job openings in the NFL have been flipped on their heads. Breaking news as we start the program. We'll get to that in just a second. I'm Patrick Maher. Amal Shaw there live downtown Las Vegas. The big guy has worked himself into a sick lather after Championship Sunday, Dustin Sweetelson, feel better, buddy. We've got a jack show for you, including the breaking news, as we welcome you in. 30 games on the college hardwood, of course. Let's just go to sh- – yeah, there we go. we got NHL. We've got NBA. I'm going to reset and kind of get you caught up on exactly where everything is. This is what I like to do after Championship Sunday. you got the 12, 13 days until the Super Bowl. We got to let you know what's happening on the calendar and what to expect. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. We've got Miles Simmons joining us talking NFL. We've got the GOAT, Mike Randall, talking college hoops, including Amal Shaw, as we welcome him in, including my Gamecocks at Tennessee, okay? My man, Mr. Paris, is doing a good job in Columbia, so we'll get to that matchup in just a bit. Adam Burke's going to stop by, a Berkey Tuesday here on the program, just quickly Again, we were talking yesterday where this Super Bowl 58 number should be. And yesterday, as we sat here, remember, books open San Francisco, two and a half point favorite. Yesterday, Amal Shaw, as we say hi, it was one. You and I thought potentially headed towards a pick. Steve Fezzik, professionally handicapper, when he wasn't being snarky on the show yesterday, thought, (laughs) I got you laughing, that's an early start. When he wasn't being a snark, he said it was going to go, yeah, that's you, Fezzik. He said it was going to go to a pick. However, Amal, just to start here, then we'll get to the big news coaching-wise, the 49ers back up to two. So some cash coming in right now in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised by this move simply based on the way Mahomes has played. And I'll tell you what, we're learning the lesson in the postseason. You're probably better served never betting against Brady. And now that replacement is now Patrick Mahomes. Doesn't matter whether it's in Kansas City on the road in Buffalo or in Baltimore. He seems to find a way through. I know neither team in the Super Bowl this year played their best football in the conference championship game. But we haven't seen too many flaws or warts with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm a little bit surprised by this move on the number, Patrick. February 11th, I'm all right there down the road from you at Allegiant Stadium, the 49ers and Chiefs. We saw it, what, four years ago, and then we headed into a pandemic for two years. So hopefully not a repeat. Of course, the Chiefs hope for a repeat as they beat the 49ers and King Kyle a few years back. So that is the news to start. However, let me read a text message from a good friend in Michigan that dropped about an hour ago. It's 33 degrees here today. It's snowing, it's gray, and it's miserable. But it may as well be 72 and sunny. Ben Johnson is back. Hashtag unfinished business. Hashtag one pride culture. 
That's what I'm talking about. If you think I'm stuttering, I'm not. As we welcome you in, Ben Johnson, who used leverage last year, turned down a bunch of jobs, came back to Detroit for a raise, best offensive mind in football, had Washington, had Seattle basically begging for them him to coach their teams, and he said, nah. And you know the reason he gave, and this is what's fascinating. Ben Johnson is sticking around in Detroit because he wants to win a Super Bowl. And that is what we rewind to yesterday when we're talking about, of course, Dan Campbell completely falling apart, not kicking the field goals, being too married to the nerds and analytics, and then losing his mind with the timeout and running the ball late. The one thing I told you, Amal, is you have to look at the cost-benefit analysis. You're hoping the totality of what Dan Campbell brings to the table, which is culture, which is people love him, which is an environment that people want to be a part of, you're hoping that outweighs the fact that he can't in-game coach. Well, this dude who's 37 that could have had a head coaching job last year, he came back to Detroit to run the offense, he could have had Washington, and by the way, Washington was flying to Detroit today to interview Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator. Now, I hope they have good in-flight Wi-Fi and paid for it because they found out about Johnson turning down the commander's job and the Washington, excuse me, Seattle Seahawks job while they were mid-flight to Detroit. That's what I like. I, I, don't waste my time with this interview. We've got unfinished business here in Michigan. But again, comes back to the culture. Like, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and it's Dan Campbell, Amal Shaw. Well, first of all, you said a lot, and you're correct in that. Dan Campbell is the catalyst for this. Give him a ton of credit, and I think that's a large part of why Ben Johnson is coming back. You know, Patrick, I thought about this game more and more, watched some highlights, watching some stuff on social media yesterday. I have to just say to you, I, I'm feeling for you right now, man. I, that loss is just starting to marinate with me, and I can't even imagine what it's like being a Lions fan. But the fact that Ben Johnson chose to come back, A, says a ton about the culture that has been built in Detroit that has been lacking for decades. And when you look at what this team was able to do on Sunday, I know they didn't finish the job, but you felt like they were right there on the cusp. There's no way, whether they were facing Kansas City or Baltimore, and obviously at this point we know it's the Chiefs, you felt uncomfortable about them beating a team that they'd beaten in week one when they weren't even playing their best offensive football. And so I think he sees it. You've got this team, the core back, the most important pieces are all back for them. I think this is a great decision. I think it's going to help him long-term in his coaching career. He'll have an opportunity that's incredibly lucrative in the 2025 football season. This is a great move, a great win. And then you look at the AFC, excuse me, NFC big picture-wise. San Francisco, possibly Philadelphia, possibly Dallas, maybe Green Bay. That's it. Those are the four teams you have to worry about navigating. And at this point in time, guys, the Detroit Lions are step for step, even though they've got that all-star team in San Francisco. The Lions, with the play calling and the execution offensively, are right there with the 49ers. Preach your lips to God's ears. Now, I'm going to give you a counter on Johnson, and you tell me if you agree with it. So, again, if you're just joining us, Ben Johnson's going to return to run the offense there with the Detroit Lions. Unfinished business. I'll, I'll give you the betting favorites to land with the Commanders and the Seahawks coming up in just a second. Uh, a bunch of friends, one Chicago friend in particular, is texting. Now, I can't – it's crass language, so I can't give it to you. But he said, Ben Johnson is – Think about what he said, soft. He should have taken the commander's job. He's scared. It, again, he turned down jobs last year, and part of the reporting that's being done right now about Johnson is apparently his asking price was, quote, scaring teams off. He is not going to scare off Allen up in Seattle, and he's not going to scare off Josh Harris down in D.C. They would have had a blank check. My, I truly believe this goes back to Campbell. He's created something special there, and he wants to win a Super Bowl. And by the way, Amal, he's 37 years old. He's going to have opportunities next year, just like our boss, the Frenchman, as you call him, John Goulet said. John Goulet said he'll return to Detroit and he'll take over the Cowboys in 2025. That actually is a realistic possibility. That is actually a very, very good thought. It was, you know what? It's the biggest job in football. Yeah. You know, if you want to throw Man U in the mix or Barcelona in the mix, it's one of the biggest jobs in the world. He knows he's going to have his pick next year. Well, not only that, you know, uh, one of my best friends coached college basketball at Alabama. Jay Wright gave him some great advice when he was considering a head coaching job. He said, number one, never leave happy. 
And number two, and most important, evaluate the job that you're looking to take. Is the situation one that you could rise to at a level that you are in your current position where your assistants would then have opportunities to go elsewhere? I don't know if Washington and Seattle provide you that at this point in time. When you look at Seattle, you've got to go up against the Rams who are back with the resurgence. Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua. Matthew Stafford still playing great football. They'll be back. They actually have a first-round pick this year. We'll see if they choose to utilize it. The 49ers aren't going anywhere. That core is back. Warner, Greenlaw, both on the defensive side. Kittle, Debo, CMC on the offensive side, along with Brock Purdy, who's only continuing to get better. Washington, you're looking up at Dallas, and you're looking up at Philadelphia. I think this is a good decision. I think it bodes well, and you think his stock price is going to drop? This team knows what they had. They were 22 minutes away from the Super Bowl. I can't even imagine what the offseason is yeah. like, but I think guys like Amon Ross St. Brown are going to be fired up. They're going to be hungry and ready to go. It's a long way between OTAs, uh, tra training camp, going through the fall, and everything like that. But this team is there in a weakened NFC. This is a great opportunity for Ben Johnson and the Lions. Um, all Shaw, the window is open. Remember, I said when we lose Ben Johnson yep. and potentially Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, though I'm not as high on him, I said immediately the Detroit Lions window closes. The division gets tougher. Chicago's going to be better. Minnesota's going to be fine. We'll see what happens with Cousins. And, of course, Love in Green Bay, they're going to be tremendous. So I thought that window closes. Well, guess what? I know it's 33 degrees in Michigan, but open the windows because we're back, baby. And I'm going to give you an example. You want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles? Two years ago, Super Bowl. Last year, great start, absolutely unraveled. And all the turmoil centered around defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. This is big. When you lose a Steichen and when you lose a Gannon and then all of a sudden you're replacing the defensive coordinator with Matt freaking Patricia midway through the season, that's how much these guys matter. And that's why I said the window was going to close and it's back open baby. One pride. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. And think about this. Let, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys potentially being an opening next year if uh, Mike McCarthy doesn't have the success that's expected. There's going to be a possibility Philadelphia's open at the end of the year. So there's going to be some better options available when you look at it from a Ben Johnson perspective. Washington needs a quarterback. Seattle needs a quarterback. Unless those two teams are going to find somebody magically out of thin air, I don't think they're going to be at a level to be able to compete with the other teams in the NFC at this point in time. I think this is a good long-term decision. Patrick, think about this in college football. Kirby Smart waited, 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 and then took good Georgia. One and built them into a dynasty. I've seen guys like Chris Ash go from Ohio State to Rutgers. Chris Ash, I think I saw him at the Nevada State unemployment line last week. Hey. I have no idea where these guys are. The point is, if you don't take the right job, you're going to wind up in anonymity. And I think Ben Johnson is making a tremendous decision. you got a quarterback in Jared Goff. i got to tell you, I wasn't that big of a believer in. This guy has shown me something throughout the season. Jameer Gibbs, nobody could catch him at Georgia Tech. Nobody could catch him at Alabama. And nobody in the league has been able to catch him when he gets on the perimeter. Did you say Jared Goff? You mean my quarterback? Did you say Dan Campbell? You mean my coach. And by the way, they don't run offense in Detroit. They run a golf fence. And that golf fence is run by Ben Johnson. And he's going to be running it again next year. What does this mean for the commanders and the Seahawks? Not much. Is Bill Belichick in the mix? We're back. Sharp money. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least. 
as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Sharp Money presented by DraftKings as we welcome you back. 12 days, 12 long days until Super Bowl 58, just right down the street from where Amal Shaw sits there at the D in downtown Vegas. Allegiant Stadium is the host this year. And of course, we've got a rematch of Super Bowl 54, Kansas City and San Francisco. Yesterday, we talked about the number opening two and a half, got hit down to San Francisco laying a point. And now we're back up to two with San Francisco laying it at most shops. To talk about that, Miles Simmons joins us. Pro Football Talk NBC Sports writer. Does a great job. He's got a bunch of articles out there. Go check him out. At Miles A. Simmons on Twitter. And we say hi to Miles. Thank you for joining, Miles. Appreciate it. Before we get to the Super Bowl and we can talk about what happened on Championship Sunday, let's talk about the big news today, and that is Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, eschews the commander and potentially the Seahawks job to stick around with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, you know, whenever something like this happens, I always start to think, why? You know, why is it that somebody would uh, remove their name from consideration? And frankly, it kind of smells to me like he might not have gotten one of those jobs anyway. And that's one of those things where, you know, you you might say, okay, it's like when you say, oh, you can't fire me because I quit, right? Like, and maybe that's not necessarily the case, but, and obviously the commanders were still about to meet with him today, but it, it doesn't seem to me that if Ben Johnson really was the front runner for one of those jobs, he would turn them down. And also, I mean, you know, talking about, oh, well, he, I saw some of the reporting that uh, Johnson wants to stay with Detroit because he wants to, quote, win a Super Bowl. And it's like, yeah, everybody wants to do that. But at a certain point, you know, when you're a coach, you got an ego, right? You want to be able to do that yourself um, as the head coach. So it's not like Washington and Seattle are terrible jobs, in my opinion, either. So there, I think, is probably a couple different elements to it. You know, you call it one of those where it's a little column A, little column B, where, yeah, Johnson probably does feel comfortable um, where he is with the Detroit Lions. And, you know, there probably are some other elements where maybe he wasn't quite the front runner that we all thought he was, too. So if you don't believe he's necessarily the front runner, who do you believe is the person for those two jobs? That's a great question. I mean, I still think Dan Quinn probably is the front runner for Seattle, given his history there. You know, the fact that they won a Super Bowl there um, with him as the defensive coordinator should have won another one, um, and except for, you know, Marshawn Lynch not getting the football when he should have gotten the football when you're deep inside the five. But also, I mean, with uh, the commanders, that one seems a little little bit more wide open to me and it's hard to know exactly what Adam Peters wants to do what exactly he's going to do they're running the football operation I mean they're still going to meet with Aaron Glenn who is the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions you know Bobby Slowick is another guy who apparently was impressive the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans when they talked to him Mike McDonald uh, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens is another guy who has apparently been impressive. And, you know, obviously what he's done on defense with that unit is, is remarkable in and of itself. So it, the, the commander's job seems to me a little bit more open uh, than the Seahawks job. McDonald also in consideration for the Seahawks as well. And Mike Kafka is another one of those names, uh, the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants, who could be one of the uh, big considerations for uh, the, the Seahawks job, too. Great stuff. Miles Simmons joining us. Okay, we've got plenty to talk about when it comes to the Super Bowl, a rematch, as I mentioned, Miles. But let's back up to Sunday and talk about the two matchups. We'll start with Baltimore and Kansas City. Your main takeaway from both Baltimore and Kansas City on Sunday was what? 
I mean, when it comes to Kansas City, it's really just hard to beat Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's just, it's like he is this generation's football Michael Jordan. And, you know, I think he kind of needs to win next week, you know, against the 49ers to really, really solidify that. But the floor with that guy through six seasons as a starter has been losing in overtime of the conference title game. And, you know, it's, it's hard to explain that. Like, that is hard to do generally, right? Just get to a conference championship game. But to get to six straight and then to win as many of them as they have, it's it's really, really remarkable. So that's one thing. I mean, also, Kansas City's defense has been really, really good throughout the postseason. I'm sure they gave up yards and whatnot and some points to uh, the Buffalo Bills in the divisional round. But when the chips have been down, right, when their backs have been against the wall and they really need to make a play, they've made it. You know, whether it's Jarius Sneed punching the ball out um, getting that interception when Lamar Jackson inexplicably throws it to three Chiefs defenders instead of really Isaiah Likely, who put his hand up, and I still don't know why. I don't know what was going on <laughs> there with Baltimore's offense for much of that game. And so if you want to turn it to that side of it, I mean, it's why didn't Lamar Jackson have more designed runs, right? Why didn't they want to run the ball more? I, I, I don't really understand it. That's not necessarily the Chiefs' defensive strength is defending the run. And also, we saw early on in that game, right, that the Baltimore Ravens were in their own territory, and yet they still decided to go for it on fourth down, use Lamar Jackson on a design run. It gained, I think, 21 yards. And then we really didn't see many, if any, uh, designed runs for Lamar Jackson throughout the rest of the game. I, I don't understand that. That did not make much sense to me. And also the lack of discipline from Baltimore I thought was just disappointing. Like, why are you clubbing uh, Patrick Mahomes in the head? Like, that's an automatic 15. That's just silliness. Kyle Van Noy, really good veteran defender. You know, just somebody who has been around the league for so long. Why are you getting in Travis Kelsey's face and headbutting him? Like, you're the second guy there. That's going to be 15. So it was those things that just Baltimore didn't step up and meet the moment. And certainly Lamar Jackson didn't either. Miles, to stay on the Lamar Jackson point, it seemed like he was trying to make a point of trying to go pass for pass with Mahomes instead of taking what the opportunity presented. It seemed like, from my perspective, there were nine yards available on any play he wanted, and he just chose not to take it. You know, one of the things that I thought was going to be bad for Kansas City was the fact that Willie Gay, one of their linebackers, was expected to play, right, and he has a neck injury he was dealing with, and he was supposed to be the spy for Lamar Jackson. Now, you take that guy off the field, a guy that has been game planning for this all week long, and the fact that their defense was game planning for it all week long, that makes that an automatic weakness, which is why, again, I don't understand why, A, there more, weren't more design runs, and B, to your point, right, why wasn't Lamar Jackson just taking off a little bit more and doing things that way? And I don't mean this as a knock against Lamar Jackson as a passer, but what he does best right, is being a runner is disrupting defenses in that way. Because what he is, is faster than most guys on the field, especially faster than most linebackers. So that's where your matchup is, right? Where you have the advantage. And the fact that they did not take advantage of that was really baffling to me throughout the game. Yeah, it's thought of as pejorative when you talk about Lamar's ability to run because then you're acting like he can't throw, but that's not the case. He's just the most exceptional runner we've ever seen. I, I totally agree with you both. Uh, Miles Simmons joining us here, Sharp Money. I, again, the Dan Campbell conversation, we'll put it to the side because we just have four minutes, but I want to ask you, San Francisco. San Francisco's a two-point favorite right now. Does that surprise you? They're a two-point favorite over Kansas City in 12 days. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, just given what San Francisco has been throughout the 23 season versus what Kansas City has been throughout the 23 season. But, I mean, it's hard for me to bet against Patrick Mahomes just based on what we've seen. right? And I think in the playoffs, the Chiefs have been dramatically better than the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, yeah, like the 49ers did a, a lot of good stuff in the second half of that game against the Detroit Lions, but they were losing in the divisional round for most of it to the Green Bay Packers. They arguably should have lost both games, right? So I think that there are some distinct advantages that the, the Kansas City Chiefs have coming into this game. And one of them would be just running against that defense. Like there were some alarming things if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm Steve Wilkes 
seeing what Detroit did running the ball in the first half. They gained almost 150 yards. And so if you are Isaiah Pacheco, you are Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you're Andy Reid, you're Matt Nagy, like that's something that you definitely want to look at and you want to say, how can we take advantage of this? Because if the, the Chiefs can run the ball that effectively and control the game that way, then uh, I think it's going to be pretty clear that the Chiefs are going to be able to win because I think right now they've got a much better defense than the San Francisco 49ers. And that's a weird thing to say because of all the talent that the 49ers do have on that side of the ball. But just the cohesiveness with which they are playing and then the way that Steve Spagnuolo has been able to scheme up things against all these different opponents. I, I, I like the Chiefs right now. Well, Miles, let's expand on that. we got about a minute. Your prediction, would Chiefs are right now plus two, total of 47. So give us at least a score line on this one, what you think it'll be. Yeah, I would go right now Chiefs 24-17. I, I just I feel like they're going to be able to do some better things offensively than the San Francisco 49ers. And the 49ers are going to be able to get theirs, right? I mean, as long as Debo Samuel is out there and McCaffrey and all those different dudes, like they're going to be able to score a little bit. But I, I just feel like, especially in the second half, you know, the Chiefs are going to be able to put the clamps on once they really figure out the way Shanahan is trying to attack that defense. Well, the Super Bowl is so far away. Maybe we'll talk to you before it again, Miles. That's that's what they do to us with this extra week. I will be in week. Vegas, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you have to stop by the studio. It would be great to see you, Miles Simmons. Of course, Pro Football Talk, NBC Sports at Miles A Simmons on Twitter. Thank you, Miles. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Thank you. Okay. Take care. You know, it's funny as Miles was saying that. And I do, we all put, as far as the units in Super Bowl 58, we put that 49er defense four. You know, it's going to be hard because it's so easy to fall back on that. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes trope. Sure. But there's a lot to it. You heard professional handicapper Fezzik say yesterday. But then he added the other one. Last year, the star of the Super Bowl, in my eyes, was Pacheco. Pacheco is going to be key again this year. You've got Mahomes, Pacheco, and the better defense. I'm just saying. And the head coach. <laughs> and, a, and a coach that all of a sudden, that goofy mustache has entered the GOAT conversation. <laughs> yes. So that's just factual. Got a huge game in the, excuse me, huge night in the association tonight. We'll get to that next here, Sharp Money. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Randall the Goat coming up, but first, a yearly subscription for $199. How? Use the promo code SHARP. It's that simple. VSIN.com slash subscribe. Check it out. Daily best bets, including Amal, Randall, the big guy, they're all there. Betting splits, big game betting guides. Everything. You don't have to just set it and forget it for a full year using the promo code SHARP at vcin.com slash subscribe. So, of course, our buddy, FTN's college basketball betting show, FTN Network Chief Content Officer is the GOAT, Mike Randall. FTN, tremendous for your betting and fantasy needs. At Randall Rant on Twitter. As we welcome you back here on Sharp Money, what we like to do to start with Randall is go inside the mind of the eccentric and esoteric Mike Randall. And today we start with a new purchase at the Randall household. Yeah, the purchase is a ping pong table, guys. Wife picked it up. Great job in the basement. But now this gets to a huge argument. Do we let the nine-year-old son win at ping pong? Wife being the wonderful person that she is feels that we do. I do not. And not only do I think we don't let him win, when it's 20 to 18, because he's getting very good, and we hit the winning shot, we look at him and go, that's greatness. Because that's what we do. <laughs> Teach him. <laughs> First, okay, I'll start with my take on beating your son. First off, most people know, Randall and all. you don't. I'm sick with the ping pong paddle. So when I come to Jersey, I'm going to come over there. I'm going to whoop up on you, Randall. But you know what else? I'm going to beat your nine-year-old son. Because it's seven or below where you still have to baby him. Seven or above, you can whoop that ass. That's all I'm saying. Amal, your take. I, I think it teaches you good toughness. It gives you a competitive lead into life where you're going to have to be. Nobody gives you anything. 
you got to be ready to be competitive. It's a win-at-all-cost type of world. Guys, he's in trouble. His father had headgear and glasses and with the 18th kid on an 18-man basketball team as a freshman, had a kid step on his chest and say, don't get up, dork. I waited four years to get that kid back, sent him into a wall as a starter, as a senior, and I go, that's for freshman year. This is what he's dealing with. It's tough life lessons. He's getting one. So, so we've learned that the Randalls got a new ping pong table and that Mike Randall holds grudges. Is that fair? He put his foot in my chest. Don't get up, dork. Okay. 1,200 <laughs> days I waited. He had a fast break. Guys, I told you, I've never run faster. He wasn't making that layup, I tell you. And my friends in the stand said, honestly, I thought he was going out the door. I thought he was going out the emergency room door. And Amal, the that's game. the fastest. That's the fastest Randall ran, and he also was the captain at BC on the track team. So think about that. He gets bitter when it comes to revenge. Love it. Absolutely love it. That is, that's Mike Randall for you. Hey, Randall, while we're ranting, let's go back to Sunday night. You know, I'm a Lions fan, and Ben Johnson's sticking around for another year. Unfinished business. Hashtag one pride. I'm just curious what you thought of my head coach. Now, he's built a wonderful culture, but what do you think about Dan Campbell and the decision-making in the second half? The problem is this, Dan. Do you go for two every time you score a touchdown? No, you pick and choose. Listen, we love the aggressiveness. You can go up three scores. You have to take that there. Way too aggressive. Dan Campbell, and he goes in the locker room, gives the tremendous message, you know, this may be our best chance. Boy, Dan, I mean, you're just compiling era after era. <laughs> he did a great job. He got them to this point, rah-rah, it's not being safe, it's being smart. The old gift that's out there, hitting on 20 on blackjack. You don't do that here, Dan. Kick the field goal, get up 17, that's the right move here. He should have learned that in Dallas. Very frustrating, because I would have liked to see Lions and Chiefs, but unfortunately, here we are. I love your two analogies. Lions and, Lions and Niners. Sorry. Yeah, Lions and Chiefs. Got it. Yep. I, I love your two analogies. I said uh, Dan Campbell needs a casino host. I mean, <laughs> exactly right. You, you can be great to get to this game that way, but it's not slowing down. It's playing smart. Like that, that's what you look at Dean Smith, some of these other great coaches who have not changed their philosophy at times in some big games, and it's cost them. Even though they're great, he should have kicked a field goal. Yeah, and without getting into overall predictions for Super Bowl 58, you know, we have an interesting job where we look into analytics. We try to break things down from the inside out, Randall. But then you have Patrick Mahomes, and he ends up catching five on the road. And he was just, he was exquisite in the game. You hate for your handicapping to come down to, well, I can't fade Mahomes, but he's in a zone right now. Patrick, when we handicap these games, it's like playing poker. What does a poker player say in Vegas before he starts a tournament? No bad beats. You just want things to go normally. You don't want to pick a game tonight in college basketball and have a guy get three fouls in the first five minutes. And what you don't want to do is see the Ravens, who are the most run-heavy team the entire year, decide to only run Gus Edwards once in the first half. One rush, 15 yards. Next rush, third quarter. So they were going to yep. come in with a pass-happy offense? No, maybe they were thrown off by the fact that Mahomes went right up and down the field twice. But, guys, it was still within reach. They have to run the ball. They did not get to this point with Lamar Jackson throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns. The game was over when Zay Flowers fumbled at the goal line. But I've been arguing on X, and I'm sure you guys have seen it all, all of the last couple of days. It's not on Lamar Jackson. I don't want to hear about it. That's not how they won. You didn't take the 85 Dolphins and start running the ball in the Super Bowl. Do what got you there, guys. If they stop them and then Lamar's got a pass, that's a different story. Gus Bus, one carry, 15 yards. Awful. Love that breakdown. Overall, your perspective on the two conference championship games, did you feel that San Francisco and Kansas City won those games or they were lost by both other opponents? I think San Francisco won it because they had to come back from from so so much down. So I give them credit there. The one with Kansas City, listen, Kansas City did nothing after the first two drives. I can't say that Kansas City won that game when Baltimore decided to abandon what got them there. Run the ball, do what you do, and let's see what happens. But you know what? The Ravens' defense didn't stop Travis Kelsey, 11 for 11 for over 100 yards. Last time he had 100 receiving yards, guys, in a game was October. It was Halloween. 
So very frustrated. I felt the Ravens game plan was horrific. But Kansas City, if you're going to beat the champ, you got to crush him. Like Joe Pesci says, you got to come back with a bat. You come back with a bat. You got to come back with a gun. And that's why Mahomes is great. And Todd, you, you mentioned the game plan. Hey, Todd Munkin at halftime, we know they're going to continue to pressure. Can we draw up some protection? What was weird about that, Randall, is Munkin and Baltimore against Houston counterpunched coming out of the half. They had a tremendous game plan for the second half. They did not adjust against Kansas City. Well, they didn't adjust, and Kansas City was without Joe Tooney on the offensive line. I mean, just so many things that surprised me. I didn't think Kelsey would go nuts against the linebackers for Baltimore. I didn't think that they would not they would not even attempt to run the ball in offense and try to pass. I mean, listen, Zay Flowers is good, but he's still a rookie. Mark Andrews is still limited because he's injured. Who are we throwing? If Bateman, Aguilar, and OBJ? Well, that's a law firm. That's not a group of wide receivers. So very frustrated there. Just did not make the adjustments, and that's the problem. That's why Andy Reid is great. That's why Patrick Mahomes is great, and they're back yet again. Has nothing to do with it's predetermined because of Taylor Swift. Get out of here. Two rushes for Gus Edwards midway through the third quarter. Game over. Well, we're going to switch over to college hoops here in a second in the next segment, but you got to bet on Isaiah Pacheco in terms of over in the rush yards. Uh, why do you like Pacheco in this matchup in the Super Bowl? And by the way, it's 70 and a half over at DraftKings for Pacheco in the Super Bowl. Yeah, got it 68 and a half. I'm not surprised it's going up, guys, because let's think about it here. The Niners are a great team, but where is their weakness? Their run defense. Prince Aaron Schatz here at FTN, they rank 15th in run defense DVOA. What has happened against their opponents? Andrew, uh, yeah, Aaron Jones against Green Bay with Green Bay, six yards a carry, 108 rushing yards. Then what did you see with the Lions? Not one, not two, not but three players got 40 or more rushing yards, led by Dave Montgomery's 92. You get 40, I get 40, Amal gets 40, Patrick gets 40. Everybody gets 40 rushing yards because you can run on them. Isaiah Pacheco, 24 carries against Miami, had 89 yards. 97 rushing yards or so against Buffalo, and then he gets the 24 carries for 68 tough yards against the stout Baltimore run defense. I like Pacheco going over this number. Andy Reid's not going to mess up the offensive game plan like Todd Munkin. I think it's way too low. I don't see how the Niners stop the running attack of the Chiefs, and Pacheco is the go-to guy. If you guys like Pacheco over, would you consider him to vote on him? I mean, bet on him for the MVP if you believe the Chiefs are going to win the game? 100%. Scott Sprout here at FTM put an article out today how there is value on a non-quarterback to be Super Bowl MVP. I think Pacheco is an excellent choice. Totally agree. Remember, Super Bowl MVP isn't like the regular season MVP, where essentially it's always going to go to a quarterback. I'm thinking Cooper Cup a couple of years back. Like, you can get, you can get a defensive player winning the MVP. I love it. Pacheco was freaking awesome last year against the Eagles. A bit of a breakout for him. Continued in, into this year as well. All right, and pa- Randall. And Patrick, Patrick, where do you go to college? Rutgers. Isaiah Pacheco, right next to you there, Rutgers, the University of New Jersey, the Garden State, where Mike Randall, after his hit, we're going to come back and do some college basketball, will go whoop up on his son, although you're telling me he's getting better. So eventually, he may beat you. Yep, it'll be a great day, and it'll be real, not fake. Okay, yes. So, sorry to Mrs. Randall on that one. When we come back. We've got plenty of college hoops. Of course, Randall Rant on Twitter. We continue Sharp Money. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, 
When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Sharp Money presented by DraftKings, VSIN, the sports betting network. It's coming 12 days away, of course. Super Bowl 58, a rematch of Super Bowl 54. Unfortunately, Kansas City, of course, and San Francisco. So San Francisco opens two and a half. Hit down to one yesterday, back up to San Francisco lane two. With that, we say hi to Amal Shaw. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Maher. What is it? Tuesday at 2 o'clock west, 5 o'clock east. That means Adam Burke, managing editor over at vcin.com. A little Berkey Tuesday never hurt anybody. I got a lot to do. I got a lot to do with you. Okay? So, first off, look at that jacket. Did you and your boo go shopping? You're looking sharp, my man. I, I can tell how much you pay attention to my segments, Patrick. This is the same jacket I wear every week when I'm on the show. <laughs> can't, can't, you, can't you play theater of the mind and just let it be a compliment? I already knew that was the jacket from last week. I was just trying to hook you up with a compliment. Well, All right, Berkey. I, I obviously, do- I'm obviously really good at taking compliments. So, <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? It's a Midwest thing. We don't know how to handle them. Um, speaking of the Midwest, I want to do a couple things. Let's start. I want to ask you about the Lions and Campbell's decision making. I want to ask you about Lamar and what you took away there. But let's start here because it's important. NewVSIN.com. We're a few weeks in now. What's been the major feedback? What was, hey, this is awesome. The, our pro subscribers and everybody loves it. Was there anything they said, hey, what about this? And you had to tweak it. Like, where are we at with vsin.com with the new fresh paint? Yeah, a lot of the initial feedback was I hate change. And then a lot of the feedback yes. lately has been, man, this works really well. This site looks really great. The mobile optimization is definitely a big deal, especially when you look at the percentage of our traffic that comes via mobile. And, and look, everybody is just constantly on their smartphones. I don't know how we got by before the age of smartphones, but everyone looks at the site on smartphones. So we wanted to make sure the site was optimized for mobile. We've definitely done that. We're rolling out a lot of Super Bowl content here this week to kind of lay the groundwork for just an avalanche of picks that will come in next week from all of our people, from all of our hosts in our Super Bowl premium betting guide, which will come out next Tuesday, maybe Monday night, but definitely by next Tuesday morning. So just laying a lot of groundwork, building up this game here, and then we'll hit you with all the picks next week over at vcin.com. Adam, there's going to be a plethora of options in terms of the Super Bowl and props. I know we're going to get into it, but just give us an overview of what's a way maybe people can attack them. Because I don't know, Patrick, when's the last time you had a chance to look at the sheet out here? It has gotten so big now. Every year. It, Every well, you, year it gets I, bigger. The problem is you end up missing some pretty good prop bets along the way because there's just so many to navigate through. Yeah, and I think that is the tough part, feeling like you have the opportunity to actually digest everything that's out there. And, you know, a lot of the books out here kind of doing the staggered thing, whereas a lot of the legal U.S. books just kind of throw everything out there all at once. So that makes it pretty difficult as well. Uh, For me, I actually... I've kind of found some success, and I really like attacking a few different prop markets. I like attacking, like, the third wide receivers when you look at the receiving props because everyone's going to look at the main guys. I kind of want to try to find who that third option is going to be and sort of look at it that way. I also really like playing tackle props for the defensive guys. 
that's something that's an underutilized market, I think. And along the same breath, I like the kicker props a lot. I like to kind of analyze, you know, what these teams may do in the red zone with the tendencies I picked up on them in some of their bigger games and, of course, in their playoff route to get to this point. So those are three of the markets that I think are kind of a little bit underappreciated here because, you know, everyone wants to bet Kelsey and Pacheco and, you know, Rasheed Rice and all these guys. Give me the guys that I think will factor into the game plan that more often than not don't, or I think just wind up being good matchup guys here in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a great because the co- the prop options are so copious. I think people get FOMO, like fear of missing out on a bet, and they can kind of become paralyzed by that. Just uh, like you said, I think specializing and maybe some of the deeper props is a better way to go. Hey, did you hear the big news? And I'm going to give you a couple hashtags. Hashtag unfinished business. Hashtag culture. Dan Campbell. We'll talk about his in-game decision-making, but how about Ben Johnson coming back? Let's run it back, baby. We're going to win a Super Bowl. I'm sorry to your Cleveland Browns and the rest of the NFL, but next year, one pride. It's all Lions, baby. Well, look, I'm just happy it wasn't the best month in the history of the state of Michigan. No offense to you, but I I don't think I can handle Michigan and the Detroit Lions uh, all in one month. But, look, I'll say this. I mean – you know, the commanders talked with, with Ben Johnson, and they apparently they were flying back. And he was like, yeah, no, I'm good. So it kind of makes me wonder what the pitch was like for the commanders and what their ideas are kind of going forward here. But it's a huge deal for Detroit. I mean, you know, obviously that offense was really, really good. And, you know, for Campbell and in terms of the decision-making, I mean, look, first of all, people act like taking the points is some automatic. It's not, especially with a kicker like Michael Badgley, who isn't very accurate from, you know, 40-plus, 45-plus, where that kick was going to be. It's what got them there. It's what you do. And I think people kind of underestimate and underappreciate the fact that you have to basically handicap all of these different variables in the span of, like, 40 seconds. And I know that there are guys that are paid to do that, game theory experts, things of that sort. Hopefully every team has one by now. But it's a decision that you have to make very, very quickly. Timeouts are very precious in the NFL, so it's not like you can always take an extra two, two and a half minutes to think about these things. You could have kicked it. I'd have been okay with it. You could have gone for it. I was okay with it. But the thing that always bothers me is guy misses the kick, and people are going to say, well, he should have went for it. Guy makes the kick. Oh, great decision. That's not how that works. You You have to make that decision before the outcome. And the other element to all of this, you have to have the right play called. You have to have a play that you can execute against whatever defense you're going to be facing. Give your quarterback two or three options. He has to make the right call. There's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, the armchair quarterbacks really oversimplify the process. I, I appreciate what you're saying in the argument. For me, when uh, now were you talking about the second uh, time when they went uh, just decided to pass up on the field goal no. or the first time? Okay. No. For, for me, the first one was an absolute no-brainer. You have to take the field goal to attempt to go by three scores. The value of being up by three scores is so immense that it puts incredible game pressure on the San Francisco 49ers. You kick the field goal attempt, and Badgley, assuming he makes it, if he doesn't make it, it's the same result except you've given the Niners 10 more yards as opposed to the fourth down effort where it was no good. But if you get up by three points more addition, at that point in time, three additional points, You've gone from a halftime margin of 17 to a third quarter margin of 17, but now you've taken eight minutes off the game clock. Instead of having 30 minutes, they've got 22 minutes to come back. I thought that was the easiest decision in the world. I'm not, I don't have as much of an issue with the fourth quarter decision. To me, as soon as the Niners kick the field goal, we're like, we get three points. It's Super Bowl, baby. You know, all I heard when Adam Burke was talking about the Lions is he's all in on the Campbell culture. You loved everything he did. Uh, maybe the Browns are in the rear view, and you're coming to Michigan with me and my Detroit Lions. I'm all kidding aside. It's one of those things where with Campbell, uh, yes, he's going to struggle at times in game, though you agreed with the aggressiveness where we can go to, we agree, everybody agrees he botched it, was late in the game. Right, like, again, maybe that's on Ben Johnson, but he's in the headset. Campbell could have said, we're not running the ball here. We have to keep these three timeouts. And frankly, I think they should have kicked it. They needed 10. They needed three. I think they should have kicked it when the, stop, when the clock stopped at a minute 46 and Laporta went out of bounds. That one I do agree with. That one you do need two scores. I think you kick it, and then you know you hope that you're able to either play defense or if you opt to go with the onside kick, whatever you decide there. Look, I mean, I guess I'll say this. We could probably assume that Josh Reynolds never got COVID because he can't catch anything. And, and that was a really hey. big part of 
of the decision-making process there, too, where, I mean, they should have had some conversions where he was open. You had the play, you had the look that you wanted, and he just wasn't able to convert. And so, you know, it's a lot of these different things, right? I mean, to, to kind of transition this over to the Ravens, people are blasting Lamar Jackson. Okay, whatever. The reality of it is Todd Monken called an incredibly bad game. I mean, the Ravens, throughout the regular season, the fewest number of carries their running backs had in a game was 16. They had six in this game against a really good Chiefs secondary that a Chiefs team that can have some problems with the run. To me, that's not Lamar's fault. Like, you have to put your players in the best position to succeed. And people are going to say, okay, the great ones will overcome that. Sure, maybe they will. But they won't always do that. And, you know, I just didn't understand at all whatsoever what Monken's plan was going into the game. And honestly, you know, it pissed me off from a betting standpoint because you go into these things thinking, okay, I can look at these publicly available numbers that tell me that running the football is a good idea. And this guy, who has way more proprietary data than I will ever see, apparently didn't think running the football was a great idea. So I think in a lot of respects, it was, you know, a frustrating weekend just in terms of, you know, coaching in general around the NFL and looking at these guys and putting your hard-earned money and trust into them and then just wondering, what, what are they doing? What were they thinking throughout the whole lead-up to this game? I mean, Not I think, to simplify it, I think Munkin got punched in the face and freaked out. Like I think he literally fell behind and just abandoned the run. It just felt like he just freaked out, and he didn't adjust at the half, boys. Well, you know, the one thing I would make the argument, Munkin was at Georgia for two years. They had a great run. But let's be real. How many games did Georgia play during that run where they had to really adjust? Two? Three games? Yeah, they're on the front foot the whole time. Yeah. I agree. Needed to keep running the football. That's your identity. I did think Lamar maybe a little half second off in his mind as far as it felt like he was a little slow just to go. I don't know if he's trying to prove doubters wrong as far as throwing the football. I don't even really care about the likely pick, Berkey, because you know what he was doing. He was trying to look off and likely put his hand up. I don't know. I don't put as much on Jackson as others, but... It was a terrible game plan. It was. It was a horrible game plan. And, and honestly, I mean, I think what's going to be really interesting now in the, you know, the, the lead up and the overkill leading into the Super Bowl is Kansas City did absolutely nothing in that second half. So Mike McDonald clearly adjusted. He adjusted on the fly. If Monken had, we're talking about the Ravens being in the Super Bowl. So I think that makes it kind of interesting in terms of how you want to think about Kansas City going into this matchup here against San Francisco. All right. When we return, what can you expect at vcin.com over the next 12 days as far as Super Bowl coverage? Our managing editor is here, and he's a tremendous writer. Go check out the articles at vcin.com. He's got a couple of basketball plays, college hoops plays as well. We'll get to them. Coming up, Berkey Tuesday, Sharp Money. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 